Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Media Podcast Network. All right, everybody, Mike Heck here for MMAFighting.com, and we are smack dab in the middle of UFC 274 Fight Week. It is Wednesday. We had the UFC 274 Media Day in Phoenix that wrapped just before we hit record, and let me just say right off the bat, if the energy for this media day carries over into Saturday night, we are in for one hell of an event, my friends. I am Mike Heck. Thank you for joining us. We react to a very eventful media day. Joining me are the two gentlemen who are on site for all of this incredible stuff from MMA Fighting. We have the local Arizonan, Sean Alshadi and Jose Youngs. Gentlemen, what a great start to fight week. Sean, let me begin with you because it is no secret to the height of the pedestal, you place one El Kakui Tony Ferguson on. He is getting ready to face Michael Chandler on Saturday. And normally we would begin with the main event, the title fights. But Tony Ferguson shows up at media day with freaking flamethrowers, man. Opening up like never before, expressing his frustrations towards the UFC, towards Dana White. Everybody is, as you like to say, catching strays on Wednesday. You were in there for over 20 minutes with that man. Your reaction to the former interim champions media day scrum this afternoon. Yeah, man. It's stealing the show is, uh, I'd say, an understatement. It, 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 you had to know something was in store when he walks into the room, turns the chair around. This is the first time we've seen this guy in a year. And the first thing he says to all of us is, what's up, Effers? Uh, it was really, I mean, it, it was, I would say Tony Ferguson playing the hits, but it was even more than that, right? You had a level of intensity from him that I think a lot of us have come to inspect from Tony, uh, but also just a, a brutal sense of honesty. And, and you can really get the sense that this guy's coming in here with a really large chip on his shoulder. Like he has been through some stuff over the, over the time he's been away. It's really been a year at this point. Um, and he, he, he's coming in here with a point to prove and feeling like he's been disrespected in a lot of different ways. I mean, we have not seen him go this hard against the UFC, against Dana White, um, against, you know, Michael Chandler. He was, everyone was getting it today. And again, it was just a level of intensity that for that 20, 25 minutes was 
really palpable even in the room like you, you it felt like everyone was sort of almost walking on eggshells to navigate the conversation and try to get Tony where it obviously felt like he wanted to get to because he came into here having a lot to say and wanting to say a lot um and and with Tony it's always that Nick Diaz Nate Diaz sort of thing right where he'll start one way and then he'll just abruptly pivot take a hard right turn to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mm-hmm. Town or something like that, and then pivot right back and get back to the main point. And it's, he's kind of weaving his way through. But if you can follow the thread, there's a lot there. And you could just tell this is the guy who's been slighted. This is the guy who feels immense disrespect from the UFC, from the community, um, but also is like strangely conflicted about that disrespect. And, you know, he says he wants to still be part of the UFC, but then he goes on to to rip the hell out of the UFC for the next five minutes after that. So it's all very Ferguson-esque. I mean, if this was a way to to make his reintroduction to us after a year away, it was certainly the most turning Ferguson way to do it. Uh, but you can tell this guy coming in here with a, a giant, giant tip, chip on his shoulder and a massive point to prove in a fight that is more or less do or die for him. Like, this is really it. it, it if his life as a UFC title contender l- continues or dies on Saturday night, and, and you could tell that the moment um, he's certainly sensing it. Jose, you've been our guy on site for every pay-per-view, every big fight card for the site. You're actually too good at covering these events, to <laughs> being honest. But uh, in any event, you've seen many of Media Day scrums since the pandemic started. And oftentimes, I mean, we're in Jacksonville. There were some that stood out, but they sort of blend together, right? This one, personally, I can't remember a fighter coming into a Media Day before a big pay-per-view and just going scorched earth on the company, on Dana White, to this degree, comparing them both as to, to drug dealers, at least in recent memory, man, can, can you remember a fighter just coming in and just opening up like this much and just blasting the company this much? Maybe not blasting the company, but I think Francis's post-fight press conference at in Anaheim when he was talking about like his his displeasure and you know and stuff like that. And of course, he opened up a lot more on the MMA hour. But I think Francis was the last time I can remember like in in recent years of someone like that. Obviously. Jorge Masvidal media day scrum was super memorable. Colby Covington's was memorable for different reasons, but uh, those are like the names that stand out to me. But it uh, seems like Tony Ferguson was just like this this media day in general, like dating back to pre-pandemic, was something unique. I had, can't remember anything that was like he like I I did the social clip for it. I did w- one social clip for it, and I started. He, someone asked him a question. And then I was like, I'm going to end this clip when he's done answering the question. And then seven minutes later, the clip was over um, and I, I listened to him. I'm like, I don't think I can cut any of this out. I need to include everything he said. And it's like people are literally sitting on Twitter watching like an eight and a half minute clip of Tony Ferguson. So, yeah, this was unique. Obviously, the Hamza Shemaev one was unique, too. That one did like a like really big numbers for us. But this Tony Ferguson media day scrum is an, is another beast entirely. And I don't know. Like, it seems like Tony Ferguson interviews are now point of viewing. That might be because, like he himself said, leading into this, he didn't do any interviews. He didn't do any media. He, like, made himself disappear. So now people are clamoring for more Tony Ferguson. You can kind of see that, like, Donald Cerrone, same thing. He didn't really do any interviews until this fight week, and he's probably doing the second best numbers-wise after Tony Ferguson, which is, like, quadrupled everyone at this point, and it will probably hit close to 400,000 views by the end of the day, hopefully. But yeah, I can't remember anything that was a beast of like what Tony Ferguson did today. Sean, you mentioned Tony walked into that room with a massive chip on his shoulder with a point to prove. And I know it's a man sitting at a table answering questions from the media, but 
sometimes that kind of mentality, that that vigor, it can transfer over into the octagon. So I'm curious if his media scrum today made, did it change your opinion at all in terms of how you think this fight plays out, how Tony Ferguson will perform on Saturday? Because he seemed very free in the media room. Can that freedom transition into the octagon on Saturday? You know, that's a good question. I think maybe I'm almost the wrong person to ask it to because I, I, you mentioned at the top, like I am the driver of the Tony Ferguson bandwagon, right? Like I have been on this train for years. Uh, I created this train. And for me, I've, I've always looked at this fight from the moment it was booked. I know a lot of people dismiss the guy. I know a lot of people have written him off at this point. You know, you three straight losses. None of those losses were close. When this fight was booked, it almost as if people were reacting to it as if they UFC booked Tony's funeral. And I understand it to a certain extent. Um, you know, he's older for this division. He, he, his time is clearly coming to an end as one of the best in the world, if it hasn't already. But this is a very winnable fight for Tony, and it always has been a winnable fight for Tony. He he, It's not like Mike's going to come in there, Mike Chandler's going to come in there and, and really try to wrestle Tony and, and drag him to the ground the entire time. Mike's certainly capable of it, but that's just not how he approaches his fights, especially in the UFC. So this is a very winnable fight for Tony, and I think seeing him today, again, this is a man who purposefully hid himself from the public view for a year, essentially. So we, it was a lot of guesswork to see to anticipate how he would come into this week. But to see him today, he is supremely focused. Again, we've said it a couple times, but he is coming in here feeling the disrespect from Chandler, from the UFC, from the MMA world. And that can be a strong, that can be a powerful thing, especially when somebody feels like their back is really against the wall and it is do or die time. So I certainly think he's coming into this this week with a mindset um, that could help him out on fight night. And I, 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 like I said, I've always felt like this was a closer fight than people thought. Um, and today only reinforced that, that view in my mind. I think Tony's come in here absolutely determined to prove a lot of people wrong. Tony walks in, does the AC Slater, turns the chair around, sits down, answers the John Morgan questions, and then the Dana White privilege line gets brought up. And that's what basically opened the floodgates. And Tony just went all out from there. And then Jose Michael Chandler comes in a little while later and was asked to give his response to Tony's reaction to everything he said about Dana White privilege and it not being funny anymore. And Michael Chandler, of course, just eats it all up in his scrum. He's having a good time with it. He had a lot of fun with the Dana White privilege thing. Not that this fight needed any more juice, but did these two guys actually increase the expectations after today with just their words and what they actually brought to the table? Because it was a lot of fun. It got a little real at times, but... I mean, it wasn't boring at all. No, and I think Tony Ferguson and Michael Chandler actually did a lot to sell this fight as a competitive, like, sports sporting event as, like, outside of all the emotions and Tony Ferguson having issues with the UFC and Michael Chandler saying, like, oh, I'm your boss's favorite fighter and this and that. Like, Tony Ferguson did a pretty good job of selling, like, oh, I'm, I'm – I, like, he said, like, I don't – I had, someone asked him. It was, like, a weird question. It was, like, what music have you listened to this fight camp? And Tony Ferguson was straight up, like, nothing. Because I'm going back to the tough where they took away our iPods. I'm like, that's honestly like a, a way better answer than I thought you were going to say. So it's like Tony Ferguson going back to his roots of like the ultimate fighter, bringing back his old like collegiate wrestling coach, like locking like like 
removing himself basically from society and being a hermit that just trains. He said he like rebuilt his body. Uh, his knee, he said, wasn't was like not 100 percent when he fought Justin Gaethje. And then Michael Chandler, of course, is Michael Chandler. He sold the fight as best he could. He said he obviously he kind of fell into it. Uh, the crowd and everything against Justin Gaethje. And now he's preparing for Tony Ferguson. And honestly, Michael Chandler did a better job of selling Tony Ferguson's skills than Tony Ferguson did. So outside of all of the talk and, and the interviews and the, the drama and everything, I thought both men actually did a pretty solid job. I thought Michael Chandler, like Sean said, I thought Michael Chandler was just going to go in there and just rinse Tony Ferguson, uh, especially the Tony Ferguson we've seen in the last few fights. But like Tony Ferguson said when he fought Charles Oliveira, that he did no jujitsu in fight camp, which seems like an oversight when you're fighting Charles Oliveira. And then Maybe he just a little. And then he fought <laughs> Justin Gaethje on one leg. And then Benil Dariush, he uh, he had Freddie Roach in his corner, and he worked a lot on boxing. And then Benil Dariush just went out there and wrestled him for 15 minutes. So it seems like Tony Ferguson actually like put a lot of time into 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 this camp. So. And then Michael Chandler, of course, sold the fight pretty well. So, yeah, as a sporting event, I think it's a, it's a much closer fight now than I thought it was going to be going into media day. Also, I think one thing, too, that people are, are – I don't know if they're overlooking or just when they're they're looking at where we are with Tony. Look at the three guys that he fought. Like, look at the three guys that he lost to. They might be three of the best four guys in the entire division. It's not like Tony Ferguson was out here, uh, you know, just to use a comparison for Donald Cerrone. Like, it's not like Tony Ferguson's out here losing to Alex Morono and getting just getting blown out. Like, Tony Ferguson's still losing to the best in the world. Maybe he's not that number one, number two guy anymore. But we haven't gotten definitive proof that he is, you know, not even like a top ten fighter anymore. Like, he very well could still be competitive with a lot of these guys. So, I'm I was already fascinated about into this fight coming into this week. After today, I'm I'm all in. Like, I cannot wait to see what unfolds on Saturday. Yeah, that that toughness, that durability that El Kakui brings into that octagon makes things very interesting because I feel like if he could weather the storm and this fight gets extended into the later rounds, midway through the second to the third, I feel like Tony could could really make something happen here. But we'll see what happens. And normally, well, also, this, go ahead. I will say real quick before we move on. Tomorrow we have the press conference. Right. Tony Ferguson's going to be on stage with Mike Chandler and Dana White. So if he's got a lot to say and he's got the, the you know some points and some issues to bring up with them. We might see part two of this tomorrow. So this is just starting. Like this, this could es- continue to escalate as this week continues. Yeah, I was gonna say because normally on this Wednesday night, I'm thinking, wow, this is a, an interesting media day. Here's where the takeaways. And then I'm like, oh yeah, we get the press conference tomorrow. Normally there's like a groan that follows that, but 273, I was looking forward to it. 274, I'm really looking forward to it because I feel like it's gonna be the Ferguson Chandler show, and it's. Yeah, you know, the main event will get some shine. I feel like the co-main event is going to be kind of swept under the rug, which is unfortunate. But, Sean, kind of going back to Michael Chandler, how do you feel he reacted to everything in regards to Ferguson, even Justin Gaethje? Because Chandler calls him out on a few things that Gaethje had said following UFC 268, planted some seeds for a potential five-round title fight should Gaethje beat Charles Oliveira on Saturday. How did you feel Chandler sort of handled everything and just kind of set the table for not only Saturday, but for the foreseeable future as well. I mean, man, Mike's so good at this. Like he, re- he really is just so good at this. He's a gardener out there with all the seeds that he's planting. You, you use the perfect term planting seeds. He's just dropping seeds everywhere, sprinkling them here and there, making sure they're growing, setting the, setting the table for four different options that could come next that regardless of how this plays out, um, I thought he handled it masterfully. He he is always captivating up there when he's out there, being very thoughtful, answering these questions. I asked him directly 
Um, in your honest assessment, where do you feel like Tony is in his career? Like, is he towards the end? Do you feel like you're getting a washed up version? What, what version of Tony are you getting? And he was diplomatic while still being honest about it of just, you know, I think it's very clear that this isn't the old Tony, but still he sort of repeated the same thing I just said, where he's not losing to, to you know, guys who are not otherwise the, the best guys in the world. So all of this was, was uh, I mean, man. I think they sold the hell out of that fight, and, and just in general as a lightweight showcase, showcase coming into this week between the main event and these guys now, 155 is really heating up, and I think we're going to get a lot of answers, uh, a lot of questions answered this weekend, and the the Gaethje Chandler stuff is just a different, like it's a different type of conversation, right? Because it feels like Justin's over it, but Mike is still trying to again like plant water those seeds, keep those seeds going, uh, and there might be something to that depending on how these outcomes play out on Saturday. So. All of today, I thought, really just uh, was fascinating to listen to. Chandler does such a great job as a using like motive, motivational speaker esque terminology to get fans behind things that he's saying. It's just amazing. So, looking forward to that fight. Looking forward to the press conference, of course. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May seventeenth, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the US. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the US, so make sure you don't miss it. The lightweight division is on the top of the marquee as well, Jose. Let's get to the main event because Charles Oliveira, we saw everyone show up and, you know, they were, you know, they, they went in there looking the way they like to look. But Charles Oliveira looking like a couple of Billy walking into mm. that media day. Professional as they come with the shades, the suit, looking like a world champion supposed to look. Oliveira said he's going in there. He's going right after Justin Gaethje and he promises that there will be an epic collision when those two guys square off for the 155-pound title in the main event of this card. Do you believe Charles Oliveira, or do you think this is some gamesmanship from the champ? That he thinks there's going to be a collision in the middle? Yeah, that's going to happen, 100%. Charles, Charles Oliveira, we've seen the last few times, like, he doesn't seem very scared. Like, let's be honest, like, you're a UFC fighter, you're not scared of pretty much anything, but, like, I feel like Charles Oliveira is going to be the guy that's just going to keep walking forward towards Justin Gaethje. I mean, he, you, we've said it a million times now. Like, he has all the UFC records, like, performance bonus, fight of the night bonus. He has, like, the most. He has no stoppage wins. He has the most submission wins, all this kind of stuff. You only get there by putting yourself in these risky scenarios. And be, and he is very willing to take these risks. And, like, I think someone said it. In, like they, I can't remember who said it. It might have been uh, Cowboy or Lozon or someone. Or, actually, I think it was Ovid St. Pru, honestly, where he's like, Charles Oliveira stands straight up when he's striking because he knows that he, no one's going to take him down. Joseph Gagey's not going to take Charles Oliveira down. He's going to go out there and try to break brick and start and slap a baseball bat across Charles Charles Oliveira's shins. Charles Oliveira's coming from shoot to boxing. I think he's had a couple shin kicks once or twice in his career. So I'm pretty, ex- I'm like, I am ecstatic to see how Charles Oliveira's striking can compare to Justin Gaethje because coming from shoot to boxing, you pretty much just walk forward into just a buzzsaw every single day. And that's basically what Justin Gaethje is. And I think even um, uh, his coach was like, even Justin Gaethje was like, the best way to prepare is the way Charles Oliveira does. They're like shoot to boxing versus like just versus Justin Gaethje is like just going to be absolute chaos in 
there. It's like, obviously, if this is a striking matchup, you'd have to favor Justin Gaethje. If Charles Oliveira shoots and takes Justin Gaethje down, we've seen Char- Justin Gaethje get tapped from Mount pretty much with, with Habib. I know that's Habib, but Charles Oliveira seems like he can just submit anyone in the world uh, outside of Tony Ferguson's arm turning into absolute rubber in that contest. So, yeah, a collision, a buzzsaw, a hammer and a sword going at each other. I don't know what it is. It's going to be wild, and I have no idea what's going to happen. Sparta, baby. It's, it's Sparta. funny. It's funny, like, the the similarities almost between this fight and then Justin's last fight, too, because it's very similar convert dialogue that we heard before the Chandler fight, right, of just like, hey, we're going to meet in the middle. This is going to be crazy. This is going to be chaos. Like, both these dudes promising this exact specific thing. But it's just coming from Charles and, and coming from, from Justin, there's a level of intensity because it just like you could tell, like, the champ is not messing around, man. Like, he's he's done with the disrespect. He's done with all of this. No matter what he does, no matter how many times he proves all these people wrong, the same narratives, the same talking points are coming out about this guy's a quitter, this guy's this, he's quitting, he's quitting the past, he's going to quit again, all of this. Charles is so over it. And to see him just point blank be like, no, man, we're gonna, I'm coming forward, and you're coming forward, and you're going to lose that fight. Like, to outright, like, we see fighters all the time on fight weeks just play coy about what they're going to do. You know, promise, like, hey, you know, I'm going to finish him, but, you know, we'll see how it goes type of thing. Nah, these dudes are not mincing words. They are going to do the exact same thing. They're going to walk <laughs> forward and just create some sort of gigantic car crash in the center of the octagon. And both of them seem supremely confident that they are going to be the survivor of that car crash. It's great theater. It's tremendous. Yeah, and, and I love that, depending on, I mean, Pretty much everyone I've talked to, for the most part, feels like Justin Gaethje is just going to go in there and just run Charles Oliveira over. But we see the betting lines continue to shift in Oliveira's favor, so it makes things really interesting on that end. But, Sean, I wanted to ask you about your... Because you and Justin Gaethje, and I know, Jose, you're very familiar with Justin Gaethje outside of the UFC as well. A lot of fights in Arizona, but... Sean, you and Justin, you took a nice little stroll down uh, down Violence Lane and you hung a left on uh, Destruction Drive ahead of this fight. And, you know, it seems like it's going to be a, a raucous Gaethje crowd on Saturday. And he came, comes right out and said Habib is the more dangerous guy. Didn't mince words. But he also did say that a win over Charles Oliveira to become the lightweight champion would be the biggest accomplishment of his career. So your takeaways from... The highlight, your conversation you had with him, and just everything he did today. I mean, he's not wrong. Like that, it would certainly be the hallmark, the high point of his career to be able to win the UFC championship, especially in his hometown of Arizona. I even asked him, you know, how much is Safford? Because he comes from Safford, a very small town uh, in Arizona, and he said like half of Safford is going to be out. And I believe him because Jose can can attest to this too. I mean, both of us were at the Luis Palomino fights in World Series of Fighting which was in the arena just, you know, kind of adjacent to, to where Saturday's going to be is a smaller arena. And those, those shows were unbelievable with the amount of noise and destruction that Safford wrought upon downtown Phoenix. Like, it, was, it sounded as if 20,000 people were in those arenas when really it was maybe 1,000 or 2,000. Uh, and so when Justin promises that they're coming out for him here, I absolutely believe him. Uh, and, and, God, few, there, there, a lot of people promise violence a lot of people promise you know this is going to be an exciting fight the fans are going to get their money when justin says it it's just different it's just like there's such a level of believability and honesty and he's not just saying it to say it he's not saying it to impress anybody it's just matter of factly here's what we're going to do here's what i'm going to do and y'all are just going to really enjoy it and it's just straight up it's it's brutal honesty and i I, it's just like you can feel it come from like yeah man I, i absolutely believe you 
Like that's definitely, <laughs> you're definitely telling the truth right here. And I can't wait for it, man. This is going to, this place is going to get raucous as this week continues. Cause Arizona is Justin's state, man. Like they, they, we always show out for Justin, whether when he's, when he's fighting at home. Jose, we, we talked about Tony Ferguson. When we think about this media day, it's going to be the Tony Ferguson show. We're going to remember that. But Joe Lozon may have had the best line of the entire <laughs> media day when he said, quote, Justin Gaethje just does not care about himself at all. He will light himself on fire to burn the other person a little bit. I mean, is that just the ultimate description of Justin Gaethje, yet it's never been put in those exact words before? Yeah, I think the the phrase is, is usually like he's willing to take two to land one. But, you know, lighting yourself on fire, I think, is a little bit more descriptive when you're talking about Justin Gaethje fist fighting another human being inside an arena. But, yeah, Justin Gaethje, I talk about Charles Oliveira putting himself in risks to, like, you know, get the ultimate award, the achievement of, like, getting a finish in, in the UFC. Justin Gaethje basically throws himself off a cliff in every single fight. And he's like, I'm going to, he goes, there's the guy I'm fighting 40,000 feet below me. I'm just going to jump off and try to tackle him. Like that's, he puts himself in the most precarious situations. Uh, and he comes out on top every single time. So yeah, the talking about the Luis Palomino fights, how, like at media day, Sean, I think you said there was like a thousand people there. I bet there was less than that. There was maybe 400, 500 people watching. And I remember I remember we were sitting next to each other and I was like, I remember exactly what I said. I'm like, Justin Gaethje's never going to succeed in the UFC if he's fighting like this in front of 300 people. And then, <laughs> my God, did he make, make me eat my words because the problem is he did those fights back to back and like the second fight was a little more crowds. Instead of like 400, there was like 700 people. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see him back in that venue tomorrow for the press conference, that's for sure. Yeah. Very much looking forward to that fight. Very much looking forward to a lot of fights on this card. I thought the women in the co-main event did a great job. Rose Namajunas clearly believes she is the best straw weight in the world right now. Time will tell if she's going to be the greatest of all time in that division. She feels like she's close. Needs a little bit more work to be done, and then she could be there. But that is obviously very important to her. I thought Carla Sparza was very calm, cool, and collected heading in. That was one of the things I was looking for. Would she be nervous? Would the moment be too big for her? It didn't seem like that at all. It seems like she's having a great time out there. But last thing, gentlemen, Sean, I'll begin with you. Outside of the three-course meal, as New York Rick likes to say, this is a really strong car. We, we heard from other fighters outside of the top three fights. What stood out to you today? What was the under-the-radar moment, the under-the-radar fighter, under-the-radar scrum? What stood out to you outside of the three big fights? Well, I think there's an obvious answer here, but first I want to just rewind quickly to what you were saying about Rose because I was actually really struck by that. I think I was surprised by that too because Rose is someone who she's always very honest and she's outspoken and maybe not outspoken, but she's very honest and she's straightforward and she'll sort of let you know what she's thinking. Um, and she's always, you know, not I wouldn't say she's not giving cliche answers, but you don't really hear her about her talk about her own greatness ever. And so I, I asked her that question and she sort of almost brought it up unprompted. Like I was asking her, what is it, what is it feel like to you know, be eight years deep into this division? And you, you know, you guys are the ones who sort of started it up. Like you look around the landscape, what do you see? And she took it in a completely different direction. Then I asked the same question to Carla where Carla said, you know, I'm proud of what we see and what we created. Rose just going down the road of, well, I want, I, I'm the best clearly, obviously but I want to be the goat too. Like that was very much not how I expected her to, to, to uh, ex approach that answer, I guess. And I think that speaks to something that 
maybe she's just the, a, a switch in her mindset. And she sort of said that as well, of just like, I'm starting to look at some of this differently. And you could see like her starting to look at legacy. And I found all of that to be fascinating because again, that's just very unrose like And I think that speaks to where her mind is. But in terms of the under the radar scrum, I think both of us would probably say Donald Cerrone. I mean, that dude had the entire media room close to tears um, throughout most of that. I think everyone in the media room who has a child was getting a little misky, misty. There were cut, people were cutting onions left and right. To see a, an old war horse like him, who has been in this game for so long, who has gone through it, the ups and the downs, and he's been one type of guy, he's been a different type of guy. He was the guy who accepts all the fights in the world, no matter what it's going to be. He's the guy who's all of a sudden going for the title and continually you know, falls short at the highest moments when it comes to the title chase, all this. And we have been down this adventure, down this road with him for so long. To see him now at this late stage where he's basically the old man of the group he's kind of got some gray in his beard he's got a son he's up there as a father getting incredibly emotional crying tearful just speaking about you know the losing streak and and how proud he is going to be just to have his son be able to now experience this moment his son's old enough to really understand what dad does and he's just glad to have been able to get this type of moment before it was too late all of it was incredibly touching and i think a side of donald that I don't know that we've ever really seen like this is just like the realest Donald Cerrone that I can remember seeing. And it was just captivating to hear someone who's been through so much speak about it in such a, a reflective way when Donald's not a reflective guy. Like for years, we would ask him questions looking back or looking forward. And he's just not that guy who's going to entertain a lot of that. So the, to see him now be at that stage where he's, you know, openly doing things like this. I thought it was, again, just really compelling stuff. And I, I was appreciative of him sharing a lot of that because that's not something I expected when Donald Cerrone sits down to to do, you know, an interview or a scrum with like that. Jose, you are, a, I mean, not that you're a man of few words, but you, you say words, <laughs> but usually like your reactions tell greater stories sometimes than, mm -hmm. than your actual words do. You have, you make faces and I know what you're thinking a lot of times. And oftentimes I have no idea what the hell you're thinking, but something tells me that when Mauricio Shogun Hua went back in the DeLorean 17 years, your smile was ear to ear, was it not? Yeah, 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 of course. Of course, because I, I, he just, he, like, biggest, like, outside of the three title fights, the big news of the day was Mauricio Shogun Hua confirms what we already knew, <laughs> that his 2005 <laughs> is the single greatest year for a fighter in the history of MMA. Now, if you want to make the argument that John Jones's 2011 is better, I'm not going to argue. I didn't want to bring that up to him, considering John Jones ate Shogun alive in 2011. So that's neither here nor there. He seemed to be having a really good time. We also don't really get to hear Shogun talk English much, so the the fact that he answered that question in English was that much better. And, you know, Sean uh, asked, I know he was on the MMA hour. We, we didn't get to hear it, but like Sean asked him, was like, oh, like 12 years ago, like, what were you talking about? Like, like you won the title 12 years ago this weekend. He was talking about that. And it was like, I'm, I was such a mark for Shogun in pride. I think we all are. I think Sean even said it like he's the reason he like, like got him in an MMA. That's the answer for a lot of people. And like, I remember I interviewed Darren Till once and he's like, if you could fight anyone in the world, who would it be? He goes prime Shogun. Cause he was the man. And I'm like, that is a fantastic answer that no one, no one will ever give. And I even remember Daniel Cormier once said when he was the champion, like if Shogun wins, I'm I'll fight Shogun. That dude's a legend. Like he's one of those guys that's 
respected. He was very good. He's like your favorite fighter's fighter. Like I think Jose Aldo kind of falls into that category too. Like a lot of fighters go up to Jose Aldo and ask for photos. Same thing with Shogun. And the fact that he's fighting Ovin St. Peru in 2022, a fight that he doesn't need and it doesn't really do anything for anyone's career. He's still down to fight like Paul Craig, like Shogun, like like uh, Ovin St. Peru. Like he's down to fight whoever. And like I miss that about MMA where like the best just fought guys and that was that's how they made their way up the ranks. So Yes, I was very happy that Shogun was talking about his past, but I was more happy that we're about to like watch Shogun who a fight. Like I felt like his lap when he fought Lil Nog on on Fight Island. I like do you remember all the preview shows we did like all week? I was like, I was the only one excited for that fight. I'm like, how are you guys not excited to watch Shogun who a fight? Like I don't care who he fights, I'm excited. They just happen to be another Brazilian legend. So yeah, I am very, very ecstatic that we get to see uh, him throw down. And it's, it's the second to last. He goes, there's two more, this one and one more. And then someone goes, do you want to fight in Brazil? Is that he goes, I'll fight whoever, I'll fight wherever. I'm like, oh, yes, <laughs> that is the answer. Like, he's just down to throw down. And I miss that. Oh, man. John, you must have loved that moment as well. I'll let you wax poetically before we wrap up. What a gem, right? Like, <laughs> what do you want for your retirement fight? You have all the, the world's in your oyster right now. Just give us anything. Oh, I don't care. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. Brazil, USA, you know, Hungary, who cares? Just give me a fight. I don't care who it is. God, I love that guy. I think, because I, I had asked it, I'm, I was the one that asked him about the Pride, you know, looking back at Pride, like, what's your favorite Pride performances, which that led John to ask him about the, is 2005 the best year anybody's ever had? And I'm pretty sure John Morgan and I almost high-fived <laughs> over the top of Jose <laughs> when he answered that. Because you love to see it, man. Like, I know, you know, we're, we're reporters, we're supposed to be unbiased, but we still, we're fans at one point in our lives, we were fans before we were reporters. And Shogun was my guy. Shogun and, like, Anderson Silva and a couple other people were my guys. And so to see a reflective end of the career Shogun happily looking back on a lot of this and again answering that in English I thought it was so cool I, I can't wait for it just an amazing moment it was uh, quite the media day lots of headlines lots of stories and of course Joe Lozon Don Cerrone we're gonna have a, a nostalgic start to the UFC 274 main card before we head into Ferguson versus Chandler and the two title fights and then of course we will have you covered on Thursday as well we got BTL and we get the press conference, and we know all hell is going to break loose at that press conference with Tony Ferguson, Dana White, Michael Chandler, and the two title fight participants. All of them will, be, will all be there. Sean and Jose will be there, and we'll be there with you as well, just in spirit. So thank you all very much. Sean, Jose, you guys are great. Continue on. We'll see you tomorrow. But for all of you listening right now, thank you very much. Like I said at the beginning, if this media day is indicative of the rest of this fight week, oh boy, we are in. For, uh, for quite the Saturday night of fights. See you later, everybody. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., 
and visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.